Right now, if you uh, have your hand out, remember last time we were together, we looked at these, um, uh, we're looking at Zechariah in about 520 B.C. Uh, in 538 B.C., uh, King Cyrus of Persia allowed the Jews, many of the Jews, to go back and return to Jerusalem to uh, build the altar and lay the foundation for the temple and so on. They were sent back specifically, or allowed to go back specifically to build the temple. Remember about, five, uh, about 538, Cyrus let them go back. And just a little tiny handful from Judah went back, about 50,000. And they came back under, do you might remember who the governor was of the Jews that they allowed to go back? He allowed to come back and he became the governor of them. Remember Zerubbabel? Now, I don't advise that you name your child Zerubbabel. It's, it's probably getting him into a lot of trouble, a lot of fights and that kind of thing at school. But Zerubbabel was the governor. Who was the high priest? Anybody remember? Joshua was the high priest. And do you remember the golden lampstand, which was a type or a picture of Israel, who was to be the light of the ancient world? Of course, they failed, failed miserably. Then next to that golden lamp were two olive trees. One Zerubbabel represented one. Joshua the high priest represented the other olive tree and together they represented uh, Jesus Christ and the wonderful the, and the promised Messiah and so on. Uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel, uh, one was high priest, one was governor. But uh, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will unite those two roles. Christ will be a king. He'll unite church and state in one sense. He'll be, he'll be a king and a priest. So in the millennium, Jesus Christ will reign from Jerusalem uh, David will probably be his co-regent in the millennium. And everybody in the millennium will worship at the millennial temple. Uh, Ezekiel 40 through 48 tells us all that. Zechariah today, we'll look at that. He's going to talk about the millennial temple as well. But anyhow, in those first seven chapters of Zechariah, we see that Zechariah in one night had seven or eight visions. <coughs> depending on whether or not you want to call one of the events, the, actually the investiture or the anointing of Joshua to be high priest, uh, some would say that's not a vision. So let's just go with seven visions. But in one night, Zechariah had seven visions. And all of these visions in chapters 1 through 7 of Zechariah is a future, uh, God shows God's future program for Israel. The whole book is meant to be a book of hope. You remember they came back uh, and they came back under uh, Cyrus. Uh, they immediately built the altar, laid the foundation for the temple, but uh, they got discouraged. They got apathetic, and so they didn't finish the temple about until about twenty some year, uh, about sixteen years later. And they laid the uh, then they finally built the temple in fifteen sixteen or in five sixteen. All right. So, but uh, chapters one through seven is are these visions? They all have to do with. God's future blessing uh, for the nation of Israel. Now we come to 9 through 14. You can come over to uh, Joshua, or Ezekiel rather, uh, chapter 9. And uh, 9 through 14 also deals with Israel's future. And that uh, deals with the restoration to the land, the return to the land, and so on. All right? So, uh, but in, in the verse, in chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, it deals with the 
It basically is an extended time period, and it deals with the reign of a man named Alexander the Great. Right? Alexander the Great uh, became the king of Asia, became the king of, uh, the, actually was the pharaoh of Egypt for a while. Is one of the most fascinating characters in all of human history. But uh, the word of God deals with Alexander the Great in three or four different places. Along by Alexander now is going to come to power, basically, and actually start his campaign to conquer all of Asia in about 334. So for about 11, 12 years, he will march an army all across Asia, uh, probably has about 35, 40,000 soldiers, and his army will uh, march all across Asia for about 11 years approximately. And will always and will never be defeated. Alexander was a military genius. Now he'll end up being an alcoholic, probably die in an alcohol, uh, die with a combination of alcoholism and, and malaria, a fever, at 33 years of age. He'll die very suddenly at the peak of his power. And the Word of God talks about him uh, conquering with great speed. We'll look at that in just a minute. But for about uh, about 11, 12 years, his army will march all across. Asia all the way even to India. He'll start in Greece, or actually Macedonia in northern Greece, and he'll, uh, he'll march all across, uh, eventually all across Asia. But uh, he'll, uh, now, Zechariah chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, is dealing with Alexander the Great. We'll look at that in just a second. But let me show you what uh, this chapter is talking about. He'll begin his march in 334. He'll leave uh, uh, Macedonia and start marching to the east. And for 11 years, he'll go actually undefeated. He's a military genius, was never defeated in a military conquest in, in, in this whole time period. His army will probably march somewhere probably between 30 and 40,000 miles over this 11-year period. And he'll conquer the uh, Persian Empire and actually be called the King of Persia. And he'll, he'll defeat the, per the mighty Persian Empire. And then he'll go down into Egypt. He'll be actually the pharaoh in Egypt for a period of time. But the Bible talks a great deal about him. All right, now what's going to happen, which you'll see in, in uh, Zechariah chapter 9. Here he begins his, or let's just say this is Turkey up here in this area, okay? He'll come into cross Turkey with his army, and he'll meet the Persian emperor Darius III, not to be confused with the ones in the book of Daniel. This is Darius III. At the Battle of Issus, this is in Cilicia. This is in the, near the area where Paul was born. And at this Battle of Issus, um, Alexander the Great will defeat Darius III, will defeat the Persians. Okay? After this, and that'll be in 333. All right, he'll turn his army south, and this is Palestine. Here's Jerusalem. And he'll come, uh, he'll come south, and he's going to come to the city of Tyre. Now, you have old Tyre, which was defeated by Nebuchadnezzar. And he'll burn the city to the ground. And from all that rubble of this uh, city of old Tyre, Alexander the Great will actually build a causeway about a half a mile long out into the Mediterranean Sea to capture Tyre. Tyre will relocate from here to an island about a half mile out into the water. And this, and this we'll see the description of Tyre here in in the Zechariah. But uh, Alexander the Great will attack Tyre. It'll take him seven months <laughs> to conquer Tyre. It's a great fortress out here in the water on a little island. 
It'll have walls that are 150 feet high. The water around it is about 600 feet deep, so you can't march an army. And so what uh, Alexander does, he'll take all the debris from the old city that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, and he'll put it in the water and build a causeway out to this island. It'll take him seven months altogether to conquer, to conquer Tyre. At the end of the, when he finally conquers them, by the way, he'll burn it to the ground like the word of God prophesies. It'll be destroyed by fire, just like the word of God prophesies. And this prophecy is going to take place about, uh, about, uh, about 500, let's just say in round figures, about uh, 500 BC. So it's going to be about 170, 175 years before it ever happens. If the word of God prophesies, this thing will occur. <clears throat> All right. So at the, after he conquers Tyre, he'll, he'll literally crucify 2,000 people that gave him resistance. Literally on the shore, he'll crucify two. Alexander was a, a very immoral, wicked man. And God, uh, God, did God predestinate him to crucify 2,000 people? Of course not. God doesn't, uh, God's not the author of sin. But God will take these wicked people like Pharaoh and others and he'll take these wicked people and move them into positions of, into places where he can use them to help fulfill prophecy. God's not the author of sin. God doesn't cause sin. God doesn't lead people to murder and crucify other people and so on. But Alexander uh, could be very, very cruel. And uh, was, he was a pagan. He was not a Christian. He never professed Christianity. And he, was, uh, he basically saw himself as deity at one point. Near the end of his life, he probably saw himself as God or as the son of God, the son of Zeus, uh, the Greek God, and so on. All right, <clears throat> now let's come, to, with that background, that's kind of what's going on in this chapter. I right, come to uh, Zechariah chapter, <clears throat> chapter 9. All right, I'll tell you what, before we do that, turn, turn to Daniel first. I just want to see, show you how the word of God makes reference to Alexander before we look at this passage. Turn to Daniel chapter, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 7, verse 6. Daniel 7, 6, talking about Alexander the Great now. He was a Macedonian. Daniel <clears throat> 7, verse 6. This is a reference to Daniel. It says, after this I saw in the night visions... Uh, am I in chapter 7? I need to be in 6. I need 7, 6. I, I'm, in, I'm in the right place. Okay. Verse 6. It says, After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard. Now, when you think of the leopard, you think of speed. Now, even the secular historians uh, are, uh, talk about the speed with which Alexander's army spread across, came across Europe and conquered the opposition, conquered these peoples in these battles. After this, I beheld and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. We know that when Alexander died, there were four generals that took over his empire. So these four wings, perhaps we're talking about these four generals. Now, eventually, uh, one general will disappear and that, and his, that king will be uh, merged with another king. So there'll be three kingdoms. But in the very beginning, there were four generals. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. So dominion, worldwide dominion now, was given to these four generals that conquered 
that controlled the whole then known world that Alexander had conquered. All right, so now come over also to um, Daniel while you're there. Come to Daniel chapter 8 and come to verse 5. It says, And as I was considering, behold, an he goat. So Daniel, or uh, Alexander now is compared to, uh, well, let's read. And I was considering, behold, and he goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground. Again, another suggestion now, the tremendous speed with which Alexander conquered the then known world. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes and it came to pass and it came to the ram. Now the goat is Persia. The Persian king, actually, specifically Darius the third. It says, and he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had, which had been standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with anger, color, against him, and smote the ram and break his two horns. Right, Alexander now has defeated the Medo-Persian empires. What it's basically making reference to here. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him to the ground and stomped upon him. And there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore, the he-goat waxed very great, Alexander the he-goat. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Alexander now is the great horn. When he was very strong at the peak of his power, he, was, he died. Died in Babylon. Later on, his body will be transferred to uh, Alexandria by one of his generals, a general named Ptolemy. And the great horn was broken, and it came up four notable ones. The four notable ones are the four generals. All this now takes place probably roughly between 100, about 175, 200 years before it ever occurred. And yet the word of God prophesies a man named Alexander the Great. doesn't mention his name, of course. And his four generals, or well, his empire will be divided. And out, of, uh, and out of one of them came forth a little horn. All right, the Antichrist is going to come out of this, out of this background. The Antiochus Epiphanes, remember him? He was Greek. And he's going to, come, he's going to rise in the, uh, and become the, this little horn, which is a picture or a type of the Antichrist. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the pleasant land. The pleasant land is Israel, of course. And it waxed great, even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host of the stars to the ground and stomped upon them. So here's the even projects even beyond Antiochus Epiphanes to the Antichrist. So the word of God now is giving a future of Israel and telling us what the future of Israel is all the way to the coming of Antichrist. All right. Now, come, let's go back to Zechariah. Chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Remember now, verse 1, now this passage through verse 8 is dealing with uh, really the reign of Alexander the Great. It says, the burden of the word of the Lord, the burden means a great message, a great, uh, uh, a terrible message, a burden. When a, man, when a prophet has a burden to carry, he has a burden, a, a very strong message that God has given to him. So a burden is a strong message. The burden of the word of the Lord in the land of Hadrach and Damascus, we're talking about Syria now, shall be the rest thereof. I was talking about 
Alexander now. Here's Syria up in here in this area. There's one about Alexander the Great in that area, and he's going to take his army. Instead of going straight east, he's going to turn south. This whole area in his day was called Phoenicia. Today, this would be modern Lebanon, where uh, ancient Tyre was located. And so he's coming south. He's coming into Egypt. And his goal is to come and conquer Egypt. And so this is what his, and he's leading an army of probably 35, 40,000 men. All right. <clears throat> Hadrach and Damascus shall be the rest thereof when the eyes of man, as of all the tribes of Israel, shall be toward the Lord. And Hamath, which is a little north of Damascus, shall border thereby Tyrus and Sidon. Remember these two? Uh, Tyrus is called Tyre. And then near, just a little north of uh, Tyre on the co of, is uh, Sidon. Uh, in verse 3, and said, And Tyrus did build herself a stronghold. That's talking about this city here. It has going to have two harbors. It's going to have a big high wall all the way around it. It's a real stronghold. And it's going, become, it's going to become fabulously wealthy due to trade. The Phoenicians were great traders in the ancient world. It's going to become fabulously wealthy with silver and gold and so on because of its commerce. It'll have two ports, one on the north end, one on the south side. And, uh, but Alexander's going to have a diff very difficult time conquering this stronghold. The walls on, this, uh, on the land side toward the land is about 150 feet high, very thick walls. So you see, it's almost impossible to conquer this stronghold because of the way it's fortified. And we see that description of it here in the Word of God. So then Tyrus did build herself a stronghold and heaped up silver as the dust. Now, Alexander's going to be able to get, uh, accumulate all this wealth after he conquers Tyre. He's going to be so angry, so upset that it took him seven months to do it. He's going to crucify 2,000 people on the shore, I guess, out of uh, being vindictive. And fine gold as the mire of the streets. Behold, the Lord will cast her out and he will smite her. See, now God is using Alexander the Great to judge these nations. Uh, Alexander the Great is an instrument of judgment in the hand of God. Now, Alexander probably doesn't know it. They claim that, Drew, that he went to Jerusalem. He's going to spare Jerusalem just like the word of God prophesied. He's not going to attack Jerusalem. But he's going to go to Jerusalem and supposedly uh, the high priest there will show him out of the book of Daniel how he's, how he's the object of Bible prophecy. We don't know if that's true or not. But uh, Josephus, the historian, writes that uh, uh, tells us supposedly that Alexander visited Jerusalem uh, was welcomed by the priests there, was very impressed, and uh, so on. And uh, uh, the uh, a high priest by the name of Jadua uh, took, uh, took Alexander and showed him out of the book of Daniel, how he was being prophesied there in the book of Daniel. But he left uh, Jerusalem, never uh, would not touch it, and seemed to be in fear and in reverence of the high priest there in Jerusalem. Well, regardless of what happened, we know that he didn't attack Jerusalem on the way down to Egypt, nor did he attack Jerusalem on the way back. Just like the Word of God prophesied, God protected Jerusalem from Alexander the Great, just like the Word of God says. 
It says, Behold, the Lord will cast her out and he will smite her. And he's cat talking about uh, uh, Tyre, a city of Tyre. God is judging Tyre. And uh, he's using Alexander the Great to do it. It'll take him seven months, <laughs> but he's going to eventually conquer Tyre. And, and she shall be devoured with fire. Guess what happened, how Tyre was eventually captured. Alexander the Great was able to burn it to the ground, <laughs> just like the Word of God prophesied. Now, he's going to leave Tyre after the conquest, and he's going to move south towards Egypt. And he's going to stop at the, he's going to destroy four Philistine cities. You remember these, these cities? Ac, uh, Ga, uh, 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 Ascalon and, and uh, uh, Gaza and so on. He's going to capture all four of them. I think it was, uh, one of them had already been destroyed. So he'll just attack four Philistine cities and uh, destroy them basically. And the, I've got these, uh, the, these are the, represents the four cities here. All right. This is Ascalon, a Philistine city, if you remember this. She'll see it. They'll be captured by Alexander. Uh, Gaza also shall see it and be very sorrowful. Now look up here. Gaza is going to be, uh, I believe, the southernmost. And Gaza is going to have a king named Battis. And they're going to get, he's going to give... Uh, quite a bit of resistance to Alexander. Well, Alexander is eventually going to capture Gaza, destroy it, and he's going to take this king, Battis, and tie his ankles to a chariot and uh, drag him to death around the walls of the, uh, around the city of Gaza. Uh, Alexander could be uh, very, very tyrannical and vicious and cruel. Uh, so he's going to torture this uh, king to death by dragging him behind the chariot until he, until he dies. But the, look at the description here now. Verse 5. Ascalon shall see it and fear. Gaza also shall see it and be very sorrowful. And Ekron, for her expectation, shall be ashamed. And the king shall perish from Gaza. The word of God prophesies that this king will be destroyed. He'll perish. And we know that Alexander drug him to death behind the chariot, just like the word of God, the word of God prophesied his death. And Ashkelon shall not be inhabited. And a bastard shall dwell in Ashdod. And I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. What greater humiliation could there be than one man to destroy all these Philistine cities? So he, the pride of one sense of the Philistines was destroyed by Alexander as he crushed these cities and uh, cruelly uh, killed so many of these people, and particularly uh, his cruelty uh, and torture of uh, Battis. It says, and I will take away his blood out of his mouth. It's probably talking about idolatry and the, the, the eating of the, uh, the blood of the, uh, of the flesh of the animals and their idolatrous practices and so on. And I will take away his blood out of the mouth and his abomination from between his teeth. But he that remaineth, even he, shall be for our God. And he shall be as a governor of Judah and Ekron as a Jebusite. And I will encamp about mine house because of the army. Because of him that passeth by. Now look at this. You're suggesting now, it's talking about Alexander. and suggests that he'll pass by Jerusalem and that he'll pass by on the way back and won't go in to attack Jerusalem like Antiochus Epiphanes did. You remember this? On his way to uh, Egypt, he stopped and uh, attacked Jerusalem. On his way back, he attacked Jerusalem again. 
Alexander the Great is not going to touch Jerusalem. Uh, and I will encamp about mine house because of the army, because of him that passeth by, and because of him that returneth. And no oppressor shall pass through them any more. For now have I seen with mine eyes. So it's, I think it's hinting, the, hinting here at the idea of Alexander, not uh, just passing by, and not stopping to destroy it, and so on. All right, now, in verse 9, it's going to skip to the triumphal entry. This is what causes so much confusion to some of the students of prophecy. Sometimes there'll be great gaps of time between the verses of Scripture. All right, so between 8 and 9, it's going to skip from Alexander the Great, who will die in 323, and it's going to skip all the way to the New Testament, to the triumphal entry of Christ. Now look at verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Remember, this is the triumphal entry. So the word of God skips over hundreds of years, actually to over 300 years uh, to the triumphal entry of Christ. We believe that Christ uh, I believe that Christ's uh, triumphal entry was in 333 A.D. Uh, some of the Bible, some people like the year 30 A.D., but I like 33, but uh, it's not important one way or the other, I guess. And so, you see, here's a, one of the most important prophecies in the Bible. This will be fulfilled down Matthew 5, uh, uh, verses um, uh, one, through, uh, one, through, 1 through 5, I believe, there's a triumphal entry. So here we see a very, very important prophecy now in the book of, in the book of Zechariah. And then the, uh, I said it was Matthew 21, uh, did I say 7? Matthew 21, 1 through 5. All right, then in chapter 10 now, or I'm sorry, in verse 10, it's going to skip all the way to the millennium, from the triumphal entry to the millennium. So the book of Zechariah now is a prophecy designed to give hope and encouragement to Israel it's time of great discouragement. Uh, they're building, uh, they've quit building the temple. They're very discouraged, very apathetic. And so they need some preaching. Haggai is going to give them some four messages in four months and very, very strong preaching. Uh, we all need some good, strong preaching, do we not? And he stirred them from their apathy and they began to rebuild the temple. And so uh, in about four and about uh, three or four years now, they'll be able to, to finish that temple in 15 or in 516. And then Zechariah will come and he'll start preaching. Haggai and Zechariah together. And uh, Zechariah in uh, one night will have these seven visions. And we'll, pre uh, we'll preach these visions now to the people. And so the people will be stirred uh, to uh, rebuild the temple, to rebuild the house of God. All right. And so you see in in verse 10, we see uh, Israel's shepherd. Or, or, or in the, uh, yes, and then uh, in uh, chapter 10, we see the great uh, chapter of the good shepherd and one of the most important land promises in all the word of God in chapter 10 of Zechariah. And in chapter 10, it says that God will whistle, God will hiss <coughs> and draw the Jews from all over the world back and getting ready for the millennium, uh, bringing all the Jews back to the land. Now, we know that wasn't fulfilled when uh, Judah returned under Cyrus. Only about 50,000 Jews returned. But in chapter 10, it's going to say that uh, God will call the Jews from all over the world. Uh, when the shepherd would uh, get ready to move 
uh, forward with his sheep, he'd give them a whistle. He'd give them a hiss. And so all the sheep that might be scattered in the meadow and feeding and so on would come to the shepherd and then he would move them along. The word of God says that the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, someday will hiss, will whistle for all of Israel. And they'll come from all over the world back to the land. And, uh, that's, uh, and we, see that fulfilled, we see that prophecy now in, in Ezekiel chapter 10. When the great passages and all the word of God about the, the land promise, re, uh, re, reaffirming the land promise. <clears throat> all right, then chapter 11, uh, we see a negative note. God curses Israel, talks about the curse of God on Israel because they rejected the good shepherd <laughs> there in chapter 11. And then <clears throat> in verses, uh, come down to verses 10 through 14. An interesting verse of uh, passage of Scripture, 10, uh, chapter 11, verses 10 through 14. Yeah. It says, And I took my staff, even beauty. That means God's, he's talking about God's favor on Israel. Now, talk about the good shepherd. And the good shepherd has a staff. He has two, two staffs. One, uh, the good shepherd favors his sheep. God favors Israel. And God can cut it asunder that I might break my covenant, which I had made with all the people. God does break his covenant in, in a very temporary sense, does he not? He chastises and rebukes them. God's going to remove his favor. God's going to remove his unity. Uh, Israel and Judah will be divided into two nations in one sense. So it's talking about that, then it's going to begin to talk about God's blessing. Verse 11, and, and it was broken in the day, and so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Where do you hear that again? Judas is carrot, right? Well, here's that prophecy. Now, the good shepherd is saying to Israel, look, if you think I'm a good shepherd and I'm worthy, then give me my wages. Well, they insult him. 30, uh, 30 pieces of silver was what you would pay for a wounded slave, a slave that had been gored by an ox. So it's really meant to be a slap in the face to the good shepherd. Well, what did Judas think Christ was worth? What did he charge the uh, Pharisees? What did the Pharisees give him? 30 pieces of silver. That was an insult. <laughs> he was only worth 30 pieces of silver. You see, that's a prophecy here. What an important prophecy that is, all right? Now, in chapters 12 through 14, we see the second coming. We're in Zechariah now. Chapters 12 through 14, we see the second coming. In chapter, in chapter, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, we see God's physical deliverance of Israel. Remember, all the armies of Antichrist now are going to be centered at Jerusalem, actually in four locations. And so... Uh, they're going to be delivered physically from the armies of Antichrist. We see that, see that in chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And in chapters 10 through 14, we see spiritual deliverance. You remember, what's, what's all Israel going to do at the second coming when they see Christ? Remember, two-thirds of the Israelites were killed during the Great Tribulation. You remember this? Two-thirds were destroyed. Some believers, some unbelievers, but two-thirds of the Israelites were destroyed. At the second coming of Christ, one-third of the nation will, be, will survive, will be living. What is that one-third of the nation going to do when they see Christ at the second coming? They'll look on him whom they have pierced. 
and they'll mourn as a mother mourns for a child and so on. They're going to all be converted. And we see that now in uh, chapter 12, verses 10 through 14. We see their spiritual deliverance. The beginning of the chapter is physical deliverance from the armies of Antichrist. Now they're going to uh, be spiritually delivered. They're all going to get saved. I think every single Jew living will get saved at that time. I don't think there will be a need to judge the nation of Israel at the, at the second, after the second coming. Some of your old dispensations talk about two judgments after the tribulation. Judgment of the Gentiles and judgment of the Jews. If all the Jews get saved, you won't need a judgment for the Jews, will you? Uh, all right. And then they come to chapter 13. We see the cleansing of the whole nation. And then uh, there in 7 through 9 talks about the shepherd being smitten. This is another prophecy. Remember how the shepherd will be smitten there in the New Testament, right? And all the disciples will flee. So we see that uh, prophecy here in um, chapter 13. And then in chapter 14, God's going to deliver Israel. He's going to be talking about, talking about the campaign of Armageddon. Armageddon is not just one single battle. It's a series of battles in four locations. You'll have a battle in the Kidron Valley, or it's called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. If you're in Jerusalem and you're standing at the temple and you looked uh, east across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, that valley there is the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And uh, so uh, the, the, the armies of Antichrist will be uh, gathered in that valley. Of course, God will destroy them now with the breath of his coming and so on. And then there'll be uh, an army at Megiddo, which is up a little further north in Israel, near the plain of Jezreel. Then there'll be, uh, 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 God's people will be down in Edom. And then God's people will be sort of scattered all over Judah. So you actually have four areas in this campaign of Armageddon. And so uh, in Edom, you remember the word of God talks about uh, Christ coming up from Basra or Edom uh, with, his, uh, with his vesture blood-stained. God evidently goes down to Basra and destroys all those army, that army attacking Israel in their, uh, as they fled to Basra for protection. Then the Lord will come up. Now, uh, Zechariah tells us all this in chapter 14. He'll come to the Mount of Olives after he comes up from Basra, evidently. There's a great deal of confusion about the chronology of all this, so you don't want to be dogmatic about these things. But he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. He'll stand on the Mount of Olives. It'll be split. One part of the mountain north, the other part of the Mount of Olives to the south, and a great river will occur, and Israel will flee from their enemies in that, uh, in that valley. And then it goes on to talk about how the uh, terrain will be, t uh, the topography, the geography will be totally changed. All the land around Jerusalem will be flattened out. And this is a very mountainous region. And then uh, Jerusalem will be elevated. And Christ and David will rule from that elevated Jerusalem during the millennium. They'll all worship at that millennial temple. And so that's kind of a good summary now of what the book of Zechariah is all about. Okay, all right. That'll be a good place to stop. Our Father, we're thankful for the precious truth of your word. And Father, we're just thankful for the wonderful hope and the promise that you give us. Uh, Father, we look, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would hurry, uh, come back soon. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.